0: Since 9/11, our country has been a different country. People think differently. People look at themselves, at their families, at their work, their community differently, and most importantly, I think people look at their nation and feel a, a different type of pride for who they are as an American and what our government means to us. And you have many different agencies in our government who have led the way as far as being able to make a very clear message to Americans and to foreigners exactly what our government represents, and how we're going to defend those things and the principles that we do represent. One of the organizations which has been on the surface of this movement to really present America for what it is in light of 9-11 has been the Federal Bureau of Investigation, a wonderful organization, organization which I remember as a kid being wowed by when I took my first tour of the FBI building in Washington when I was a young child. And there's a certain awe about the FBI, which is deservedly so there because of what the FBI does. And there's no question, I think, in anybody's mind that after 9-11, there's been a tremendous increased knowledge and also curiosity as to what are the workings and the inner workings of our Federal Bureau of Investigation. Well, it's our pleasure to have with us today a special guest who is who has been with the Federal Bureau of Investigation for many, many years, Ms. Mary Gallagher, who is going to, Galligan, is going to share with us the inside story on what exactly is going on in the FBI, as, far, as much as she can share with us. Thank you. And Ms. Gallagher, it's a pleasure to have you with us today.
1: Thank you, Rabbi. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: First of all, I'd like to put a little bit of the personal face on this. And we've had a very nice conversation before the show started, and I think that our, for our audience to be able to see an FBI agent, a real FBI agent, and to get to meet you and find out who you are, what you are, what motivated you to get involved with the FBI, why you decided this way of life, and to see that you're you know, a regular person like everybody else, but you dedicated your life to the work of the FBI, which we, and I'm I hope I I'm sure I do speak for all of the people who are viewing are so appreciative to you for dedicating your life to this so, such important work, especially being that you're in such a, an important position now, heading up so much of the effort to investigate 9-11 and to protect us from any future terrorist acts. Thank so if you could just tell us a little bit about Mary Gallagher as far as what got you to this point?
1: Well, I always wanted to be an FBI agent growing up. I grew up on Long Island, went to school at Sacred Heart Academy, went on to Fordham, and started to look into what do you need to do to be an FBI agent. A lot of people went to law school. Um, I chose to go work for a private company, a small company called IBM, and went to school at <laughs> night and got my master's in psychology right. and applied to the FBI. And It was a very long process, the application process, but I think I have the, one of the best jobs in the world and I really love being an FBI agent.
0: I can imagine. How do you react when people come up to you and you, they ask you, well, what do you do, Mary? And you say, oh, well, I'm an FBI agent. And they kind of freeze, like, what do you say to an FBI agent? <laughs>
1: A lot of times I don't answer them, and I tell them I'm a lawyer, and then they usually go away. Uh-huh. Um, sometimes I do tell them, and yes. they'll, people either want to know what you do, and I'm very proud to tell them, and they're excited to hear stories. Sometimes people will tell you that they have a traffic ticket, and I can tell them I, <laughs> I can't do anything about it. not your specialty. That. Right, not my specialty. Um, but people generally... Um, have curious questions, and we're very happy to answer them. I am, and um, I've gone to a lot of schools in the Bronx and in Long Island and told the kids about what we really do
0: right. and what a day so is So you're like. also an ambassador for the FBI to a certain degree.
1: I think we all are. There's not that many FBI agents, and as we were talking about, We train our new agents that you will probably be the only FBI agent a person ever meets, so make sure it's a a great encounter, a good encounter. There's only 10,000 FBI agents in the country, and there's 200 million people.
0: Well, that's a big responsibility, and it's a pleasure and honor to have you with us tonight. Thank you. Now, (coughs) let's get on to our topic. You've been in charge of the JTTF for a number of years.
1: Well, I... Sorry, Rabbi, if I, my okay, boss who's in me. charge of JTTF okay, would be fine. very... There is an assistant special agent in charge of JTTF, which is made up of eight squads. Okay. I'm in charge of the Domestic Terrorism okay, Task Force, fine. part very of that. Very good.
0: And there are eight different task forces?
1: There are eight different squads making up the, the large JTTF.
0: Interesting. Okay, so what exactly do you do?
1: My squad, before 9-11, we worked what we would call in the FBI domestic terrorism matters. That would be your threats here in New York City, Long Island, Westchester County, everything from a bomb threat um, to groups like the Black Liberation Organization, the Aryan Nations, the um, Elf-Alf, which just recently or within the last year burnt a number of houses in Suffolk County. Domestic organizations, domestic terrorism organizations is what we investigated on my squad.
0: Okay. Now, how did your jobs change on
1: 9-11? What happened on 9-11 to me personally is that my squad was one of the, the squads that responded, along with the entire JTTF, to the events of 9-11. And the, um, the responsibility for investigating what happened on that particular day fell to my squad, and and I consider it an extreme privilege to supervise them. They're the most incredible group of men and women, smart, capable, dedicated, 20-hour days.
0: So you were working together with the CIA, with the New York Police Department, and, of course, all of your agents in the FBI and right. to, on the spot, get to work on, trying to find out what went on and what went wrong. Correct. So where were you on 9-11 yourself?
1: Interesting enough, I was in Oklahoma City working um, for the FBI on the tragedy and the the. Um, terrorism act of Timothy McVeigh, the Oak Bomb investigation. There were some post-investigation situations going on and I was out there when I saw what happened on TV. Myself and another agent were out there.
0: Okay. Interesting. And then, what happened after the bombing took place here in New York?
1: I received a call from my boss here in New York. Um, I was in the Oklahoma City office, who asked if we could come back right away because my squad, in the bureau's words, had the ticket on this case, Okay. and they were c- pulling everybody back. And uh, very interestingly, all air traffic was shut well, down. Can
0: they ask how did you get here?
1: They put myself and the other agent, um, a very experienced, knowledgeable agent, on a C-130. And the United States Air Force reserves flew us back. Um, it was a very eerie sight. We flew into New Jersey, very, very, very late on 9/11, into the morning of 9/12, and um, one of the air force bases there. And then they drove us into the city, and everything was shut down. Every road. Sure. We saw the signs. New York City is closed. Right. And we went right to work at our command center.
0: It must have been like a nightmare come true. It was. It was. Because it's not the type of thing you couldn't have possibly trained for.
1: No. No.
0: Now, in your work, do you go into uh, trying to figure out what motivates these people so you can try to go out and and prevent in the future? What exactly, how do you react to 9-11? You try, of course, to prosecute those who you can find that might be responsible for such a heinous act. And then, as part of your ongoing FBI work, you try to undermine any efforts that might be taking place in any terrorist cells to be able to stop them from doing anything in the future. Is that basically it?
1: That's correct. It's um, the... The FBI director, along with the Attorney General, and have declared, and it was before 9-11 also, that prevention is the number one priority of the, of the U.S. government, of the FBI. And we did it before 9-11, and we'll continue to do it now. Um, what we've done post-9-11 is everything from arresting people on small, um, I shouldn't say small, what might be minor violations, if you believe that you're going to disrupt some type of activity, um, every source of intelligence that we've had, we've gone back out and spoken to them. Every file that we've had has been reviewed. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the prevention is the number one thing. The FBI is working with the other agencies on the threat warning system. And things that we did before 9-11, there were a number of terrorist acts in New York City that JTTF did prevent. The bombings uh, that were planned of the subway system of right. the U.N.
0: That was your division?
1: That was JTTF. Really, it's been an ex- JTTF has been... Ex- been in existence for 20 years. So they stopped that. They worked the World Trade Center um, 1993 bombing. There's been a number of incidents that they've prevented, some that the public will don't know about. Right.
0: Now, how do you stop something like that from happening? You just happen to get a leak, or you hear about something, you have an indication that something goes across the Internet that needs trailing, or I I guess a lot of it is just luck, just making sure that you um, have it.
1: I think a lot of it is experience, it's um, determination, it's having sources of information. Um, the Internet is something that, the, that could be a source of information. Human sources are a great source of information. But the agents on JTTF specialize in different groups, and they know those groups, and they know the leaders of those groups, and they know where they travel in the world. Um, one thing that the FBI has done under the direction of Director Free before our present director, Director Muller, we expanded our international base. We have more what they call legat offices around the world so that we can work with other countries right away on things that are occurring. And that's been a tremendous help in what goes on here in the United States.
0: Interesting. Now, let's take, for instance, the Brooklyn Bridge murder when the young Hasidur Broy, in fact, his mother was a guest on our show, Haverson, yep. and I was shot by uh, an Arab at the time right. as he was crossing the bridge. Now, at the time, that was termed a hate crime. Today, if the same thing would happen, it's a different world, there's a different type of perception. Does that different perception affect you at all instead of something being termed as a hate crime? How do we find the difference between a hate crime and what would be called a terrorist yes. crime?
1: Um, it's interesting you mention that case because I know Mrs. Havelstair very well, and we, in the last two years, have worked with her. And the FBI has declared that case now in a a terrorism investigation case.
0: Right, which incidentally means a lot to her personally, I know, because this is something that she'd been working on for a long time. It was almost like a personal uh, campaign just to have her son's death Recategorized right. in that way, so right. it means and, a lot.
1: And I'm glad because Mrs. Happelstan has been through a tremendous amount of pain, and I'm sure she told you that it's included in the FBI puts out a, a terrorism booklet every year. It's a summary of all terrorist incidents, both international and domestic, for that year. And um, the Brooklyn Bridge shooting has been now included in the timeline of terrorism events. It's there for 1994. Right. And the interesting thing, as I explained, to the FBI I explained to Mrs. Hableston at the time, is we're, all, we're a law enforcement organization, and we have to enforce the laws of the United States. So when you get to what's a hate crime, what's an act of terrorism, actually Title 18 of the Federal Code tries to define that. Um, you're right. After 9-11, people's opinions change. Um, how people would interpret the law changes, but there's specific things that have to happen. For example, international terrorism. You have to have a foreign power involved in the act for it to be classified by the FBI as international terrorism.
0: Really? So this fellow who shot on the Brooklyn Bridge is considered to be connected to a foreign power, or it's only because of the fact that he was a foreign citizen, that that would be considered to be a terrorist act.
1: Right. In that case, what the FBI said is that we investigated as an act of terrorism, that we spent many years from 1994 to now investigating, was this part of a foreign power, was this part of a conspiracy? We didn't say that that's the conclusion we came to, but that we, we, the Bureau, investigated it by the Joint Terrorism Task Force as an investigation of terrorism, as opposed to a hate crime that would be investigated by a criminal squad. Interesting. So you can investigate something and might not come okay. to the conclusion.
0: Uh, a question I want to ask you. and Certainly. Please tell me if this is off limits because okay. I know certain things are <laughs> off limits. But there was a lot of talk after the Brooklyn Bridge uh, indictment and the uh, follow-up pr- prosecution that this fellow came from the same ring of individuals who were involved in the Mayor Kahani murder that took place a number of years beforehand. Has that been recategories, or is there any investigation about possibility tra- changing that into some type of terrorist act and as far as it not being categorized as a murder? or Changing or hate crime?
1: the, the changing murder the status
0: of, of the murder, right. Th-
1: there's no discussion that I know of okay, as I'm far just, as that. Okay.
0: Just curious, because I had heard that they were both from the same circle, so I don't know if that would have anything to, to do. Um, <clears throat> I know that you also had the opportunity to travel. Um, to visit some of the different sites where, unfortunately, terrible terrorist acts have happened against Americans. Uh, One of them, of course, being Oklahoma City, and you had a travel abroad to the two major sites, to Cole, and as well as to Tanzania, I believe.
1: Tanzania,
0: right. Can you give us a little bit of a reaction of what your personal, how how it affected you personally to go there as a professional, investigating these terrorist acts?
1: Um, Well, the first thing is I thought about, before when you asked me when I, how long has it been that I want to be an FBI agent. I never thought when I went to Quantico 14, 15 years ago that I would ever be in Tanzania, Africa, or in Aden and Sana'a, Yemen. I mean, it wasn't something you thought about 15 years ago. Right. You thought about maybe the most is I'm going to be in California. <laughs> um, when I got the first um, terrorism incident that I worked was the bombings of the American embassies in Dar Salaam and Nairobi. When I got to Dar Salaam, the thing that struck me the most was besides this, the group of agents and the knowledge that they had, the people from the country were very warm people. They apologized to us sometimes, that they were sorry this happened, really? and it was very interesting. Um,
0: they apologized to you. Right. Interesting.
1: They would apologize to us. You were probably us.
0: apologizing to them.
1: Right. Exactly. Because if we weren't, you know, there. Right. It
0: happened in Yemen? Was there any different reaction?
1: Yemen um, is very different from Dar Salaam for, for me personally. It was, um, I first went to Aden, and then uh, we were transferred to Sanaa, which is the capital, besides the difference of one being at the water and one being thousands of feet up. the um, It was the first time I'd ever been someplace where you knew people hated you because you were American. Really? And but you This was
0: a couple of individuals, or this was a massive type of feeling you got, wherever well, you went? Well,
1: the individuals we were working with who were very, worked with us. Right, I'm sure for they were those, very but you would they would put us in a bus or something to drive us to the hotel from the airport. And there would be graffiti on the wall. And a lot of the graffiti would be about death to Americans. It would be death to America and Israel. You know, you'd see that spray
0: painted on the wall. How did you feel when you saw that?
1: My first reaction was shock. I mean, we are very... There can be times where we're very naive in the United States. You know, I, I never thought that way. I never thought anyone would... How could anyone not like us, you know? <laughs> um, and then you start to read and you start to understand politics, and it's, it's there. And so it was a very interesting investigation in Yemen. In,
0: and that is very interesting. But in uh, in discussing with the people in Yemen that feeling that they have towards Americans? Well, first of all, did you discuss it with anybody?
1: The people we worked with in Yemen were the military and the law enforcement.
0: Did you ever get to come in touch with the Yemenites who actually felt that way or showed some... Not that anyone would know that would say Ah, that. so you wouldn't know from a personal basis. But I'm just wondering if that hatred is so intense that it would almost rationalize terrorist actions against American institutions.
1: I think you would find more support for them in a country like that. That would be my opinion. Right. Right, because you're going to have more support there if the graffiti's on the wall. Um, you know, we know that Osama bin Laden is from Yemen, but you know, there's very, very good people there. Their government has been very helpful with us since the USS Cole bombing and helping us try to solve it.
0: Right. Have you studied Al Qaeda and Al Qaeda's makeup and what makes um, it tick?
1: If you if you say by osmosis, I, studying by osmosis, <laughs> um, I there are there are agents in the FBI who are incredible experts on Al Qaeda, the makeup. Who's who? I'm very familiar with it. Obviously, now working the 9/11 investigation right. from the things that I've read, both in the FBI and outside the FBI.
0: Can you speak at all about um, your impressions or different things that you, you you feel makes them unique as opposed to other terrorist organizations that you de- deal with here in the states? How-
1: well, the biggest difference for me would be that I usually deal here in the United States with domestic terrorism organizations. Would be your um, Organizations that come that are here based in the United States have no foreign citizens in it, have no foreign um, powers involved in it. So that's more of my background and those type of people.
0: So it's only since 9-11 that you focus a little bit more on Muslim extremist terrorist organizations. Right, or
1: being in Yemen or being in Africa, learning it that way.
0: Right. The
1: JTTF is, while well, I said it's eight squads, we work closely together with each other. So there's different opportunities where you're going to pick up on different information.
0: hmm Interesting. So that hatred that you experienced there must have been quite a shock for you, personally.
1: It, like it was. I have to say, I
0: mean, not that we're naive, but we, listen, we give out billions of dollars all over the world, and we try to help, and we're leading the way when it comes to technological investments. Right. And I think it's very difficult, but on the other hand, very important that Americans understand what that attitude is. What is it about America that inspires or, or brings out in certain people right. that type of hatred? Because that's a very real... Part of world politics now, and that's that's it's uh, a driving force, and uh, I'm sad to say it might become more of a driving force. So, it, do you think there's enough of an effort to help Americans understand that, or is it not necessary? Is no, something I, I we think should it's
1: all about everything's about education. I read an interesting piece le- uh, recently that the, um, uh, the First Lady and um, other women are concentrating on educating women in the Arab world about what America truly is. Um, and just like we need to understand other cultures, other religions, other parts of the world, what has gone on in those parts of the world for the last thousand, two thousand years, I mean, we're a relatively young country. And, mm-hmm. Right. Um,
0: Do you study these, what, exactly what you're saying, let's say, the history of some of these countries, the history of some of these movements, try to understand where they are coming from in order to be able to better prepare yourself for Sure, your work? There's,
1: there's people in the FBI who who will just be an expert on one country one group really that the FBI does do that yeah become
0: the resource for anybody who has any questions or any dealings for that matter with people sure. from that background
1: right they become the resource they share that resource they work with other agencies yeah. so yes the FBI has different units down at FBI headquarters that just work certain right. parts of the world
0: certain groups so you you have this pretty much down to a science well the <laughs> FBI does <laughs> right
1: Um. They, they, in my belief, the FBI does everything they possibly can. And, um, again, we count on the public. After nine eleven, we... Can you talk a
0: little bit about that? Oh, counting we, on the, the public? Ma- we counting on the public. In other sure. words, your message to the public now, we need you, you're we, part of the whole process. Right. We we always needed the public. We needed the
1: public back in, in the days when, um, you know, People were going across the country robbing stagecoaches and banks. Now, the FBI is not that old. <laughs> but um, we always need the public because they're the eyes and the ears that you don't have. I mean, J. J. Edgar Hoover used to say that, you're our eyes and our ears. Um, Director Mueller says it now. After 9-11, for example, in New York City alone, our major command center that had over 300 people in it, 23 different agencies, um, we got approximately 22,000 calls from people saying... Here is a really? lead, what we call a lead. <clears throat> check this out, check that out. And we checked out every single one of them along...
0: Every single right, lead.
1: With the New York City Police Department and INS, and um, every agency in New York City helped us. The Nassau County Police, Suffolk County Police, New York State Police, um, HUD, the Department of Education. So it was an amazing um, g- gathering of resources. There wasn't any group that had some database that we couldn't use. Um, you know, with the proper subpoenas and, and whatnot. And the most interesting thing about that, for me personally, is a lot of people don't realize the FBI lost their headquarters in Manhattan after 9-11. Really? Yes, it's located down at twenty six Federal Plaza. And the destruction of the World Trade Center knocked out all of our phones and computers. So for almost 30 days, we didn't have an office. And we moved to a parking garage where we usually fix the FBI's cars. So it was a secure location and it was, had the communications we needed. And these men and women worked on cement floors, you know, with oil stains, with wires hanging from the ceiling. And they went out and they covered over 22,000 leads at the same time putting together the case that would be presented to the director and the attorney general of who mm-hmm. did these acts.
0: That's an incredible effort. It was. That's really amazing that people put in such time and, uh, and dedication.
1: Right. Plus they had the stress of, Many of the agents that worked for me on my squad were there when the buildings came down, saw things that no human being should right, have to see. Course. Some cases lost to, you know, a a family member, had to come to work in a city that's shut down. So all those stresses, and you never heard anybody right. say anything about those.
0: How did you handle that?
1: The stress or coming to work? <laughs> um, coming, no, to both. work coming to work was, was easier for me because I had... Um, out of necessity, a hotel room in the city. I was working pretty much 18, 20 hours days, and as well, a lot of the, the people, take a shower, get some sleep. You, you got to a point where you had to send people home because yeah. the adrenaline. Well, the energy
0: level, right, it right, must be the so energy. intense.
1: And I, the stress is that you have to um, count on the people that mean a lot to you, who you love, talk to them, and talk to your fellow agents about the things that you can't bring home. Right. And, and watch out for each other is the biggest thing. Right. And um, our chaplains, I was talking to you a little bit before, they were always around. Rabbi Bazer's is one of them.
0: Right. Father wonderful Paul. He for, is
1: great. He is yeah. great. Got me food, as I told you.
0: <laughs> um, so do you get a sense of fulfillment from your work?
1: I, I'm, I a great deal of fulfillment. I think it's about self-gratification. At the end of the day, looking into the mirror and being happy about what you did, because it's um, certainly not about making millions of dollars. <laughs> Or, um, you know, living or going to extravagant places. I mean, Africa and Yemen is not Tahiti and Paris. (laughs) right. Right. So um, I do. And hopefully helping people along the way, whether it's the victims. Right.
0: Exactly, because your interactions on a day-to-day basis are really there for the purpose of helping people, protecting people, pointing out needs that they have, perhaps vulnerabilities that they might not even know about. Right and being able to prepare them for a better future. Right. Which is, as we say in, in Hebrew, a mitzvah. A mitzvah. It's a mitzvah. Okay,
1: I've learned a new word.
0: <laughs> That's great. Tell us also, just in terms of a, as somewhat of a conclusion, is there any story that you could share with us or any, any personal encounter that you had that, that really gave you that sense of personal meaning or a sense of, sense of accomplishment, a life that you touched or, or a moving event is there anything you could since, say? Since us? 9-11? it could be at any time during the course of your career.
1: Well, an interesting thing about 9-11 is because there is a trial coming up on September 30th and where the U.S. government is um, going for the death penalty against Zacharias Massawi, the defendant, by federal law we need to notify the victims of what's going on and interview them to see if they want to testify at the death penalty stage. But we've never, ever had a case where there are over 3,000 victims.
0: Sure.
1: And we've been going around. uh, Today, as a matter of fact, there are agents that work for me in Washington, along with Washington field office, interviewing victims of the Pentagon, Um, both victims who were actually there burned as well as family members. And when you're saying um, a fulfilling moment, it's very tiring. It's very draining. We did it in New York City for a week. We did it in Boston. But... One thing that sticks with me is the very first day, September 12th, that morning, when I came back, I went down to Ground Zero with a bunch of agents, and they were trying to explain to me where they were. And, and we have these jackets, ray jackets, you know, say FBI, JTTF. And a fireman came up to me, and he said, You just grabbed a hold of me, and he said, get them, just get them. And I don't know who he is. He doesn't know who I am. And I looked at him, and I said, we will. So it just sticks. It's kind of like you made somebody a promise, mm-hmm. and um, and the stories that we hear and the as the we say, they're not three thousand statistics. Each one's an individual story, and sure, each story and is more sure. yeah, it's more horrible than the next. You know, so that must be
0: very difficult for you, for anybody to have to go through those types of interviews on a daily basis.
1: Right, the agents who do that, I'm, I'm, I admire them a great deal, and, and then what happens is you just try to go back to work and get caught up in the bureaucracy, and then you, you get uh, <laughs> um, sidetracked, you know, your mind can be sidetracked on it. But there have been some incredible stories, some people angry at the government, some people thankful to the government. So, right. very um, interesting. Uh, I interviewed a woman who lost her son in the building, who yeah. wasn't supposed to be there, you know, things like that. Right. So... Um,
0: very difficult. Well... Ms. Galligan, I want to thank you very much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. You're and very informative, very interesting. And I thank hope you. that you continue to do your good work. Thank you. And go out there and do lots of mitzvahs. Uh, thank you, I will. All right. I appreciate it, Rabbi. Very, very good. So I just want to say to everybody that I think we should all be very proud of the government we have and, and the hard work that many of the people working for the government, Ms. Galligan is in the executive branch, in fact, of the government. The FBI is connected to the executive branch by law and as a result, is dedicated day and night to being able to defend our country and do what is necessary to make our country the strong country we want to be, especially in the changing world. The role that she plays and others dedicated like her is so important to each and every single one of us and not something that we can at all take for granted that we should have ever taken for granted, and for now, we know very, very well that we cannot take for granted. So it's a time for all of us to, to be strong, a time for all of us to stand strong, to stand proud, of who we are and what we are, and to know that we live in a great government, we have nothing to hide, and that we have to be able to stand for freedom and for justice, and for people who are willing to to do the right thing everywhere in the world, wherever the call might be. So this is a time for all of us to go a little bit beyond the call of duty, as far as doing our part, on a personal level, with our community, in other ways, maybe we can't do the same thing that Mr. Galligan is doing, but we can all make the world a better place. Let's go out and do it. Shalom.